Welcome, everybody, to my podcast and my frequent and normal guest, Father Richard Heilman. Whatever. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. This is the U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Berry, along with my co-host and very good friend, Father Richard Heilman. And we got a great guest on tonight. We're going to be talking about Jared Stout's book and the topic, The Eucharist Can't Save Civilization, because we know what St. Padre Pio said, that the world could live better without the sun than without the Eucharist. So we're going to break all this down, of course, but everything needs to begin with prayer. And of course, Father Heilman, Padre Heilman, we turn that over to you. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful, Amen. wonderful. Thank you very much, Father. And thank all of you out there who support us in the U.S. Grace Force podcast. Your comments, your prayers. Again, I say this every week, but I have to. We cannot tell you how appreciative we are of that. And Father Heilman, he's got people coming from all over the country to visit him in his little parish in Pine Bluff, Wisconsin, at least for now. But that being said, we also want to thank everybody out there who supports us through the Patreon program. If anybody is interested in helping us financially keep this work going, get this message out to as many lives, as many souls as possible, please click the link in the description below. We appreciate every single dollar you can give, and you are always in our prayers. Don't forget to go out to the U.S. Grace Force gear page. Amazing t-shirts out there, hoodies, sweatshirts, lady styles, men's styles, even the Gracie t-shirt. Yeah, if you don't know Gracie, here's a picture of Gracie right here. Yes, Gracie is the official mascot of the U.S. Grace Force podcast. Father, how's Gracie doing, by the way? We should probably address Gracie's status. Is she still good? Yes, she's adorable, and, but she's still got ants in her pants. I mean, oh, I got to run over here. I got to run over there. I got to run over here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought they said after she got spaded that she'd uh, simmer down, but, you know, well, uh, she's, can't, she's can't trust that science. She's just got a yeah. lot of, I don't know, she's got a lot of grace in her, right? Is that it? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what it is. <laughs> hey, I want to I wanna begin, first of all, before I introduce uh, Dr. Stout, is um, I, I want to address that. This past weekend, something Doug kind of alluded, alluded to. First of all, Doug, thank you for having me as a guest on your podcast. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm honored you've been able to be with me yeah. every Monday for three and a half years since we started. <laughs> Doug this. and I were talking about that because, <laughs> I don't know, publications or something. He's a frequent guest on Doug's U.S. Grace Force podcast. <laughs> okay, whatever. Anyways, um. So this past weekend, uh, I had the difficult um, task of, of announcing that I'm being transferred. Mm. Uh, it'll begin uh, July 1st, the weekend of July 1st. Uh, I'll be going to Janesville, Wisconsin. Um, and I am devastated because I got very, very, very close to my parish family here. And we did a, we've done a lot of wonderful things together. I'll, most of which has to do with tonight's topic. And I can't wait to get into this with uh, Dr. Stout, but um, uh, it, with great success, we've got young families, uh, you know, streaming in. And, um, so anyways, uh, the great news uh, amidst this uh, very difficult um, 
moment of, of leaving my family. You know, I, I told him this week, I said, this isn't a business. You're not my employees. We're family. And, and I love you dearly. So it's very difficult. And, uh, but you know, the good news that I draw out of it is that, uh, they're getting some really great priests. And, uh, but I say priests because, uh, what the diocese is doing is grouping parishes and they're called pastorates. And so there'll be, um, five pastorates together and there'll be uh, three priests serving them. And uh, they're just fantastic. And they will continue what we started and build upon it. So that's really good. And then I'm going down to Janesville, and I'll be with three other priests who are incredible. One of them is my very good friend, uh, Father Eric Nielsen, who actually started at St. Paul's uh, at University of Wisconsin. And I tell people, you want a great Catholic school, go to University of Wisconsin. They go, wait a minute, well, that's kind of a liberal bill, isn't there? But the, the, the St. Paul's um, chaplaincy, the, the, uh, the, the youth um, uh, movement that they have up there is unbelievable. And so anyway, uh, I'll be with him and then two uh, recently ordained uh, priests. So it's going to be, it's, it'll be great that way. I, the, uh, we'll continue with the podcast. I've already talked with my friend, Father Eric, and he's good with us continuing that and all my teachings and our prayer campaigns will continue going on. So um, nothing to worry about there. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mixed blessing and, uh, but, uh, you know, God opens a, God closes the door, he opens a window, as they say. So I'm just, I'm trying to be hopeful and positive and, and, uh, and I, and I am, and I'm looking forward to being with the people in Janesville and see what happens there. And the, the big thing for me is I'm five years away from retirement. In fact, um, and all the listeners, you come to this, I'm about to say, <laughs> ironically, my 65th birthday is the, my last weekend here in the parish, which is the weekend of uh, June 24th is my birthday. And I share it with John the Baptist. I share my birthday with John the Baptist. And actually, Roe v. Wade went down on my birthday last year. Doug, did you hear that? Wait, no, wait a minute. Yeah, Are you yeah. sure about that? No, yeah, yeah. Right on I, my birthday. I don't remember I, you mentioning that on previous yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't like to brag about it, but, you know. I, it just, no, yeah. not at all. Yeah. So anyways... <laughs> So Father, I, I just have to say that I'm very thankful that, that where you're going, that, that the priests you'll be working with are, are going to allow you to continue to be one of my frequent guests. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, as long as you podcast. keep inviting me, I'll, I'll keep, keep, keep uh, responding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the podcast that you what started. <laughs> what, what is, whatever. <laughs> people need to know just quick here i know dr jared you're being very patient but people need to know father Sorry, contacted doc. me we've been we've been friends for quite a while and then he contacted me and said hey doug i'm thinking of doing a podcast you want to you want to join me and you can be robin i'll be batman i said as long as i can sit in the front row and cheer you on he said that's oh, what i want you to be in the front here we row. go again whatever <laughs> anyway okay uh enough of enough of that um we're very excited to, to have uh, Dr. Jared Stout with us tonight. Uh, Dr. Jared, you wrote a book, which I think is really cool. Um, and we were just, we just I, I'm going to get this right away, but what's the name of the book that you wrote um, called? How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization? Or do you mean the earlier? No, 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 no the first one. The first there one. There it is. The beer <laughs> option. The beer option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brewing a Catholic culture yesterday and today. That's so, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. But no, this book that you've just written, and um, uh, we found out about it and wanted to have you on, is How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization, mm -hmm. and which we made the, the, the uh, 
the title of our podcast tonight, how uh, important it is to talk about this. And again, it, it gets back to what we've done here at St. Mary's. Uh, it really was the Eucharist that, I mean, I got here and, and there was the average age was probably 75. And then there, virtually none of their kids were coming here. The church was um, emptying out. And and uh, we went with the Eucharist. Now, I want to hear what you have to say and what your book's all about tonight. But we put our eggs in the basket, you know, and we were encouraged by the likes of Pope Benedict. Um, I, like, I like to say Cardinal Burke. He's, he's a friend. And, uh, of course, my own Bishop Morlino and so many others like that. And all we did is this, you know, yeah, I, I agree with what you're teaching us and we'll do it. And look what happened. Mm. So, uh, Dr. Jared, we're, we're, uh, we'll call you Jared tonight. Um, but, Jared, um, thank you so much for being on. Um, so, what's, you know, what, what spurred you on to write this book? What, what was kind of the motivation? What do you feel like the need is? Or, or what uh, is an important book at right, right now in our times? What spurred you on this? Well, I, I really feel like God called me particularly into the work of rebuilding culture. Okay. Um, my undergrad and master's studies were at uh, the Catholic Studies Program at St. Thomas up in, in Minnesota. And it was really about Christian culture, not, not just some idea, but something to be experienced really holistically. So yes, studying theology and philosophy, but also the arts and literature uh, going on pilgrimage, uh, forming community, we're really living out the faith together, um, that this is how we really need to study and enter into our faith. Uh, and so that is why I wrote the beer option, you know, as a way of trying to draw people into what culture really is. It's how we live, the things that we do, shaping the earth. But after I wrote the beer option, I felt like there was something more. Uh, yeah, obviously, not just drinking beer, yeah. uh, but being able to really take our work, the bread and wine that we produce from God's creation, that that we perfect God's creation because, you know, you don't get wine out in nature, right? You have to harvest the grapes and, right. and you have to apply your creativity and work to it. But then we bring that work to the Lord and he transforms it into something supernatural, his own divine presence. And that is the height of human culture. Mm. And through that, we are able to worship God, not just with our own prayers, but with his own very self, um, that we are drawn into the life of God uh, through the Eucharist. And it transforms us. We are made members of his body. And it doesn't end there, right? He sends us, ite misa es, back into the world. Yeah. And he wants us to be tabernacles of his presence in the world to transform yes. us. Yes. To begin shaping everything through the Eucharistic presence within us to nice. transform the world itself. And people say, okay, is it actually realistic that the Eucharist can save civilization? And I say, okay, oh, ye of little faith, right? Let's go there. Yeah. It's happened before, right? You know, when yeah. everything collapsed in the West, you know, yeah. the fall of Rome, 476. How was Western civilization built up? It was around the monastery, around the cathedral. Think of everything that we love in Western civilization, the churches, the music, the art, all the things that we treasure. They were all created to surround the Eucharist and to give God glory. Nice. I'm curious, uh, Jared, um, if you could break down for the 70% of Catholics out there Easy question, beginning of the program here. Um, 
why do you think so many people do not believe in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? Because we do not act like he is truly present in the Eucharist. Mm. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, after the Pew survey that revealed those numbers, they mm. say, you know, we need better catechesis. And of course, catechesis just collapsed in the 1960s and 70s. And, you know, I went to Sunday school in the 1980s and it was, you know, it was still cut and paste and color and all that stuff. Mm. You know, but we have made catechesis to be better, right? You know, the catechism came out in 1992, and we've produced a lot of great textbooks. And so catechesis is better, but that hasn't been enough. What do we really need? Yeah. You know, we need to, well, first of all, truly worship God, um, to give him glory, to put him first before everything else. Uh, but then to really live like we believe that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist and that we are transformed in this encounter. So would you be referencing uh, reverence uh, in, in addition to the catechesis? I mean, knowing that it is knowing it is one thing, being reverent in that truth is another. Is, is, would that yeah, be fair? And, and Father was talking about that with the transformation of his own parish, right? You know, right. you go in and do we treat Jesus like he's a piece of bread or do we treat him like he is the Lord and King of right. the universe? Right. And you can see the difference. Yes. You, know, you walk in, you're like, mm, yeah, what's happening here? I don't know. I mean, yep. it's, this is boring. This, you know, yep. why am I even here? And you go in and, and, and you see something transcendent, something beautiful, reverent. And you say, wow, this is very different. I mean, this is sublime and it's not just aesthetic, right? Oh, well, it's a beautiful church and it's a beautiful liturgy, but no, no, no. I can see that what you actually say is happening here is being manifested. Right. You know, do the signs match up with the reality or right. not? Or, or is everything just totally horizontal, boring and, and ugly? Right. Yeah. You know, when I was um, gi giving the hard news to my parish, um, the bishop had prepared uh, the, the notes for that sermon, if you will that day and um in there he he drew out eight key uh points or realities that are going on and they were tough and it was you know people aren't going to church as much uh, people aren't going to catechesis as much they're not getting married in the church as much it was all these these things and uh and and young people aren't uh turning to the church as, as much and I, I i said to my parish family uh i said i'm so proud of you uh, because every one of those difficult key points don't exist here um, because we have done the work necessary to help prepare ourselves to be predisposed to be to receive what God wants so desperately to give us. And that's that moment where you finally get it. Your, your heart is open is the way I put it. And you cry out, my Lord and my God. It, it, and and you 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 get it now. I have had countless stories, and mostly young young people. Uh, by young, I mean in their thirties or whatever, twenties and thirties, who said I've been away from the church forever. And I encountered something that took me by surprise. And yeah, the architecture helps, the sacred music helps, and all that. But there was a sense of his presence in that place and it captivated them and it changed their entire life. And they went from, you know, no contact 
whatsoever with God. I mean, they call themselves agnostic, if not atheistic, uh, until they had that encounter with his presence and everything changed in that moment. And I just want to conclude with this because I've been teaching this a lot lately, but Pope St. Gregory the Great ordered the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know what he put first? Fear of the Lord, which is synonymous with awe and wonder. Fear of the Lord means, wow, I'm, I love you. You're so amazing that I'm afraid of offending you. And, that, and, and, and I always teach that my logical self says, okay, you got to get through one to get through two through, two through seven of the gifts mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit. So there's this opening that occurs. And that's why I, so I, I couldn't that's wait to right have order. you on this. Yeah, I, I couldn't wait to have you on our podcast tonight because I do believe that the Eucharist can change civilization. I do believe it. And so, Jared, you know, uh, first of all, what, what do you think about what I just said there? I, I, yeah. I'm, go ahead. It, it, you know, it makes me uh, need to revise an answer to something you asked me earlier. You said, why did I write this book? Yeah. The reason I wrote this book is because I was a 13-year-old kid who was lost, who really was already kind of despairing, uh, you know, about finding the meaning and purpose of life and just starting to get into trouble. And I was kicked out of the public schools when I was 13. And because I, I brought my Boy Scout knife to school and, and you know, the, the public school said zero tolerance. Yeah. And so my mom went to the Jewish Academy. She went to the private school. Only the Catholic school would take me in. And against the principal's wishes, it was the priest who had baptized me and given me my first communion, even though I was a non-practicing Catholic. And he said, no, we're going to give him a chance. And so a few weeks later, he asked me, hey, you know, we brought you into the school. <clears throat> Will you come and serve mass at 615 in the morning during the week? you know, on the anniversary of my ordination. And I'm like, yes, father, anything, you know, <laughs> you just saved my life, you know? And so I showed up there in the dark that morning and I received the Eucharist for the first time in years. And the Lord called me home. He said, this is what you've been looking for. And this is where you belong. Wow. And that, it changed my life. Yeah. <clears throat> and how does God change things? You know, generally speaking, he doesn't just kind of come down, you know, deus ex machina and just change everything, you know, and just take, get rid of all of our problems. He changes us and he wants us to then help other people. And so civilization really is built up, you know, one soul at a time. Right. And we have to believe that if 12 apostles could go out and change the world, that yeah, we have enough Catholics now because there are some people who, and this is kind of building on what you said earlier, Father, you know, there are some people who say, well, don't you know, I mean, we're in a, a time of decline. This is a time to, you know, close down churches, close down yeah. schools. What are you talking about rebuilding civilization for? I mean, yeah, we're not anywhere right. near there. Yeah. And, and it really is about trusting in our Lord's presence in the Eucharist. That no, Can we rebuild civilization? No, actually we can't. He can. What, what other force is there in the world that can rebuild civilization? I, I can't think of one. I, know. I mean, the, the Eucharist is the most powerful force well, yeah. in the created world. It's beyond Jesus. the created world, you know? It's yes, Jesus, of course. body, yeah. blood, soul, and divinity. I mean, it, he, he gave that to us. 
what? No, he, no, the Eucharist is one among many things. No, it's not. <laughs> the thing, right? The thing. It's Jesus I himself. Mean, nuclear power. What is that compared yeah. to the Lord's, you know, Eucharist? Exactly. Presence? And you can see what the transformation it had in these young people where they were agnostic and, you know, I'm sure they were do, living their worldly lives and partying or whatever, you know, doing all the sinful stuff because they had no um, center. They had, they had no force that was uh, compelling them to live as God wants us to live. To, and that's just living, being good <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and making sure we don't lie and cheat and steal and, and uh, you know, everything that, that God wants in our lives. You know, to, to live your life where I'm afraid of ever disappointing you, okay? I don't need a rule book for that. You know, you just, you just you be the best person you could possibly be, the best version of yourself you can possibly be. And really it's simple too, because I, I always love the scripture passage where Jesus says, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and find life burdensome and you'll find rest for your souls. Wait, what? what? And then he says, learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart. But then he says this, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden light. And you're going, wait, carrying your cross, blah, blah, blah. No, when you truly love someone, you can't wait to do stuff for them. You know, that's not hard. That's your, that's your utter pleasure. See, that's what we break into. And that's what I've seen these young people break into too. They just hop out of bed in the morning and how am I going to please God today? That's what the meaning of life is. And that's where the, that deep joy and peace comes from. Because now you're not, you're no longer living for yourself. You're no longer struggling in chaos and darkness to try to figure it out. No, I know what it is. <laughs> I, it clicked on to live for God. And so to, to have the Eucharist where we actually, we, we get so close to Jesus, we actually get to consume him. He comes in us. What an amazing gift to transform not us, not only us, but to transform the world. Yes, doctor? It's unthinkable, right? When yeah. you think of the God who created me, who created all things, who redeemed me, who died for me on the cross, he comes into me. Into me. And, and it really is about trusting in him to say, yeah, I can't do it. He can do it. If we all said what's on your t-shirt, he yeah. must increase, I must decrease. If we right. all said that, yeah, yeah. We, we would be going I no longer right live for myself. I live for yeah. him. You know? That's right. Because and then he can do it in increase us. in me. Yeah. yeah. What What does he want? He draws us into his divine life and then he will live in and through us. He will do it through us. Yes. Yes. And it's easy when you're in love, when you're in love, that's the key. Yeah. I mean, if you, if we, if we treat this like it's a business and it's a job description and we got to punch a clock, which unfortunately I think a lot of Catholics are caught in that, you know, I better follow the rules because that's good luck. You know, then I'll get stuff. Uh, no, fall in love with him let, and let him love on you a and go through the blessed mother, his mom, mm -hmm. uh, how important that is that, uh, that she, she leads us by the hand to her son's sacred heart. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm blabbing. Doug, what did you want to say? <laughs> no, this is awesome <laughs> stuff. Jared, I, I, I really want to address, um, if you could, and I don't know the details of your book, forgive me for not knowing um, kind of how you laid it out. And, yeah, and we what, just found out about it. Yeah, really. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to get and it. And it just seems like such a perfect fit. We just last week were addressing 
you know, um, the uh, what had been going on with college campuses, this movement that seems to be taking place. And we we questioned, is it legitimate? You know, is it just emotion? And, you know, really, no one can really claim this, that they know they can't armchair quarterback these moments. But I like what father had said last in last week's episode that, you know, if, if something's going on here, for those out there who might, the naysayers who might say, yeah, but it's not Catholic, therefore it's not complete. But, you know, to sum up what some have said, but Father made a great point. If this is the movement of, a heart, of the heart and the Holy Spirit engaging in someone's heart, it could be the first step towards bringing them to the fullness of the faith in the Eucharist, in confession, in true, beautiful devotion to our Blessed Mother. Now they're open to it. Now they're open. And, and so if their hearts are open, then they might look at differently the scripture passages, John 6, Discourse on the Bread of Life, uh, the Last Supper, and these moments. But there are also so many miracles that have been recorded. Now, I don't know if you address any of this in your book, but I'm, I'm sure, I, I don't even mm -hmm. know, we mm -hmm. haven't talked beforehand, you have to know of some of these amazing Eucharistic mm -hmm. miracles that really are powerful ways that God will drop these, these nuclear bombs of, of confounding moments. How could this be except for God? Can you address any or a couple of maybe the Eucharistic miracles just to give people an idea how, how God does this just to, just to get our attention maybe mm -hmm. so we can go to another level, a deeper level? Yeah, I, I even go into the categories of Eucharistic miracles that some, you know, actually become flesh. You know, they become human flesh. Aquinas right. says it's a particular miracle. Um, where God changes the Eucharistic species into human flesh. A lot of times it's actually heart tissue. Mm. Sometimes it, when it's studied, it actually shows strains of suffering. You know, it's really incredible. Um, there are other hosts where there are miraculous images that are put upon the host. There was a, a case within the last 10 years, I believe in India, where our Lord's face appeared on that host. In that first category, there were there was a case in Mexico and two actually in Poland just in the last 10 years. And then the the third case is miraculous preservation. And so, you know, there's there's famous stories about hosts being even preserved for a thousand years, you know, not decaying. And the most recent Eucharistic miracle I heard of was actually a host that had, you know, fallen on the floor. And so a priest put it into a bowl. Uh, and rather than just kind of dissolving. Um, it was preserved in there and there was then a, a spot of, of heart tissue that came onto that host, but, um, but even this, the preservation, right. As they were trying to dissolve it, you know, was part of the miracle there. So those are the general categories of miracles. And I think our Lord is trying to remind us, I am truly present here. If you think mm -hmm. of the miracle of Balsano, that's one of the most famous, right. That yeah. where the corporals now in or the Orvieto cathedral, but there was a, it was an Eastern priest, Eastern Rite Catholic priest who was doubting transubstantiation because it's what didn't, that theology didn't arise in the East. And he says, is that, is that really true? And so in response to his doubts on transubstantiation, right, the, the host bled. Um, and I think our Lord is trying to remind us like, hey, take this seriously. I really am there. And I really want to draw you here. And I think in terms of even the revival, you know, I'm just kind of to thinking on the fly here, right? But if you think of our Lord's Eucharistic presence requires faith, right? Because what we see are the accidents of bread and wine. And 
you know, Aquinas even says, you know, faith will tell us Christ is present when our human senses fail. How will Protestants come to know? Because they will look at the Eucharist and see bread. One of the things I'm trying to do in the book um, is to say that they will see us, right? You know, we need to be the accidents in, in a way, right? You know, we need to be the exterior sign that we really do believe and we really are being transformed. And we have a community that is centered on the Eucharist and that we don't just believe this, that we're living it. And, and we are actually then taking this grace into the world. And so people should say, right, if they're having this kind of experience with God in prayer, do we know that God works in the lives of people who are not Catholic? Yes. You know, that was actually reading Acts of the Apostles, right? And, and God comes to Cornelius, right? The angel comes to him and leads him to go and, and find Peter. And so we need to be that, you know, witness that when God is moving in their hearts, that they can connect to us, just like Cornelius connects to Peter, and that they will actually see a community that seems to believe. I know people, they go to the church and they say, wait a second, what, what do you believe is happening here? Well, no. I don't see that, right? You know, so, you know, really the thesis of my book is that the Eucharist is not just to be believed, it is to be lived. Mm. And to go back to, you know, the question of the miracles, right? Our Lord is reminding us. Yeah. And yet he even does stuff like that. And what do we do? You know, we yawn and we move on, right? You know, and so we do, we need to get the message out here. We need a revival. You know, the bishops have called for a Eucharistic revival. Um, and so far, I mean, let's be honest, has it taken off? Do we see that kind of revival happening in the church? We look at Asbury, what, what are the people doing there? Is there anything even remotely like that happening in the Catholic church right now? Mm. No. Yeah. Right. right? And yeah. that is what we need. Yeah. And, and with, uh, I'm sorry, just real quick, Father, forgive me. And with the enthusiasm that you're showing, you know, that, and that's something that I think one of the greatest miracles, I love the miracles of the Eucharist, the, the amazing stories that, that are out there. Um, but there is something so incredible when you're watching someone in mass with such reverence and devotion and you see priests who will celebrate mass and and i'm not in any way trying to criticize or disparage any priests out there but i've seen some priests and father Hallman, i believe is one of them who when they celebrate the the holy sacrifice of the mass there is there's such a a grace and an elegance and a reverence to it that you are somewhat in awe at what's happening and the the, the average i think common sense mind has to look at those moments sometimes just think what is it that is moving inside of a person be it the priest who's celebrating so reverently or or those in the congregation who are coming before our lord so reverently and i you know as a catholic born and raised refer to myself as a clock in clock out catholic you know put my hand in the holy water front when i walk into church clock in <laughs> walk out after mass clock out yeah. and i would talk about this all over the country for 33 years now that born and raised, I've missed mass probably seven times in my life. And that was just for being sick. I've never left the faith. And I still know, I've always believed the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. It has to go deeper with me though. And I know it does. And I know it can, because I mean, Aquinas in that moment before he died, St. Thomas Aquinas, when he had that boom, spiritual ecstasy and wanted to burn everything he'd written, shows us that there is no limit to what God can give us and do when it comes to a deepening of love and, and reverence for the Eucharist. But the miracles to me, the categories in general, the ones that you talked about, 
you know, that there are those, and then there are, the, there's just the miracle of, of an individual person or a priest, you know, coming before our Lord and just being in awe. Mm -hmm. And that alone is such a magnificent thing to behold, I think. You know, you just know? this last Sunday, I had the kind of experience that you're talking about, not in me, but you know, the, the, the first Eucharistic miracle I experienced was 1995, that mass when the Lord called me to find my home in the church. So I've been to a lot of masses since then. And heck, I just wrote a book on the Eucharist, but I was at mass on Sunday and I saw so many people who were so deep into the worship of God and so reverent. And, and they really had the kind of reaction that you're talking about that mm. I was, I was deeply moved even to tears at just watching everyone. I said, mm. you know, in all these years, since 1995, you know, and I think of everything that I've seen in the church, being in seminary for a while and, you know, being in a lot of different Catholic institutions. I actually, you know, thought I would never even see that. A whole entire large church packed full, a lot of young families, of people in love with the Eucharist. It just touched me so deeply. But what does it say that I was touched so deeply by that unique experience? It's unique, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. That. You know, what we see is that so often it's it's not sinking in. And people say, why is that? Well, if you go to, to you receive the Eucharist regularly, you need to go to confession regularly. And are you just clocking in or are you coming? Are you doing any preparation hmm. to receive the Eucharist? Are, you know, are you actually trying to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to receive my Lord today. How am I getting ready for that? How am I preparing? Am I taking any time for prayer? Am I bringing intentions for him? Am I asking anything from him? Am I, am I examining my conscience to see if I'm actually ready? Am I making an intention? Lord, I want to receive you today. I'm choosing to receive you. And then what do we do afterwards, right? Are we taking uh, in time for a Thanksgiving, right. you know, to really pray and, and, and to receive the Lord's grace and love? Um, and then are we checking in with him? I think, you know, we, we have to pray every day, I think, to foster this disposition of being ready to receive the Eucharist. The whole week should flow from and be ordered back to the Eucharist, hmm. uh, you know, and yeah, there, there's a one hour fast, but, you know, Friday is the day of preparation when we're supposed to fast and do penance for the upcoming Sunday. That's a whole, I mean, people say, well, okay, Saturday is the preparation day, but really I think it's Friday is yeah. the key day of spiritual preparation for Sunday to make sure we're making a good communion. Yeah. You know, um, I, I was thinking about this, that I'm at that age. So I, I mentioned earlier in the show that I turned 65 on June 24th, which by the way, I don't know if I mentioned it, but it's the one year anniversary of Roe v. Wade going down right on my birthday. Is that did really? I, did I mention that? Is that? Yeah, I don't remember yeah. that. Oh uh, yeah. So it's a pretty big birthday gift. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, and, uh, people right now who are listening and watching, uh, get your calendar right now, circle June 24th and make a pilgrimage. I don't care if it's 2000 miles. Because we're gonna have a big party, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so I want everybody to come. Anyways, but it will it will be my last weekend here in the parish, and um, and I don't know. I, I'm I want to make a big deal out of this because it basically is my, you know, it's a going away. It's it's almost like reti I'm retiring from this parish, and so anyways, it, it's it's so everybody come please. But uh, where I was going with that, um. Did I mention it's the one-year anniversary of Roe v. Wade going down? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you didn't bring that up in past yeah. episodes since that yeah, happened, then, Father. I, I know. 
I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I got a 65 year old brain. I, I can't yeah. remember if I mentioned yeah, it or not. Be it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, um, so I'm at that age though. And, and this, you know, I like to connect the dots. Did you know that Doug? Yeah. Um, uh, father connect the dots. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, but I'm at that age where, where I grew up in what you guys are talking about. We had nuns in full habits. And you talked about the uh, father asking to be there at 615. Do you know the priest who was here and he started the parish with, with my parents. I was two years old when the parish started. And, um, uh, and he was there the whole time I was growing up because if you start the parish, you get to stay. Anyways, uh, he, he went to me for like those early morning masses or, you know, a funeral or anything. And I'd get on my bike and I'd go over and, and I'd, I'd do it. Um, but we, but it was, we had, we had nuns in full habits and we did daily mass. I remember every morning we'd be out in the playground, the bell would ring, we'd line up and we'd go in for mass every morning, but you would, you'd see the nuns just so, you know, you'd look over and they're praying so intently. My mom was a daily mass goer. You'd look over at my mom. Her mom was usually with her in the pew and they're praying so intently. And it, that was just, and, and you know, uh, religious imagery all throughout the school and uh, an emphasis on things like devotions and, and, and things like that. But, you know, see what my voice is doing. You know, it, it, there was that sense of that. Then I went into high school, Catholic high school. And again, it was the same thing and, and, uh, religious imagery everywhere mm. and the nuns in full habits. You know, when I went into high school in 1972, the following year, it was all stripped out and the nuns habits went like this. And, uh, I remember the religious education room was filled with books for people to go in there and sit at the table and start gobbling it up. Mm. And this is where I'm making my point too, is that we would, because we, you had that sense. Now there's this hunger in you for the more, right? And you'd see this, this sense of reverence and awe all around you. And it made you hungry for the more. The next year they emptied out the religious ed room, took all the religious Im imagery out of the hallways, everything. The priest was MIA. Um, mass was like once a semester at best. Uh, and what happened? We lost our hunger. So that's my theory on why cat we always talk about poor catechesis. And doctor, you said that they actually improved the cat catechetical um, books and things like that during that time. But there was no hunger. Mm -hmm. You'd sit in class and you'd hope it was over right away. And you wouldn't lift a book after class. You had no hunger to gobble more. Right. And that's why I think we, I don't know what we were doing back then. I've heard all kinds of excuses as to why we went that direction and lost the sense of on wonder uh, for, I don't know what, Everybody who's listening can fill in their own blank, but, uh, but that's, there, there's a hunger, isn't there doctor that, that when you get caught up in understanding that truly is body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. Now you want more, you want the more of God, then catechesis is just absorbed. Can you comment on that doctor? Yeah. I think in some ways, these decades have been a kind of dark night of the soul within the church. They've been a great trial and purification. Can I interrupt one more? You just popped in my head. Mm. It's 1973 was it was the year they did that. You know what happened that year, don't you? Roe v. Wade. Wade. Mm. Yeah. So we talk about a spirit coming. It, it in. is bound up. And you think of the Lord offering us his body. 
and and how we view the body, how we treat the body. I mean, it is all bound up. I mean, the mass is the center. I'm thinking of the poet Yeats, right? The center cannot hold. Yeah, we've lost the center and everything else is falling to pieces. We have to go back to the center and everything yes. will build out the again center, from there. Yes. But I think because everything was stripped down so much, we've been forced to rediscover it. And I do think that there is a great beauty to the renewal that is happening now. I mean, there is a growing hunger and it may be a minority movement, but it is blessing the church. And we do see so many young families. We do see new Catholic schools uh, springing up, yes. renewal on the university level. And are, are there other bad well, universities? Sure, sure. But I mean, you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. And my parish you, is an example. Yeah. It's I beautiful. Mean, you, you, you help them to open their hearts, become predisposed to re, uh, being filled with awe and wonder before the presence of God. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Yeah. You know, that we're talking about evangelization in our diocese. I pray God, and we're talking about Eucharistic revival, right? I pray mm -hmm. God they get that. You know, anything we can to help that heart to become open, predisposed to receive that first gift of the Holy Spirit. Boom! Father, right? question for you. If I, if I could interview you since you're a guest on my podcast here tonight, Father. Um, I'd like to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you what again for having me on, Doug. <laughs> well, it's it's nice that you're willing to come on yeah. every week. Yeah, but uh, uh, for three keep and asking, years, I'll keep yeah. coming, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, two things come to my mind. Number one, if you could tell the audience, what is the percentage of parishioners that are registered in your parish who actually attend Mass faithfully Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation? 100%. Yeah. And, and what's the standard around kind of the country? What's, is, there, there's, is there a ballpark average? I, I haven't done a deep dive on it, but uh, all the times I've heard it, I'd go with 50%. Okay. So that registered that actually attend. So something obviously is working with where you are. The yeah. Holy, Holy Spirit's doing something there. What was and again, I, I give a full credit to Pope Benedict, Cardinal Burke, you know, yeah. Bishop Marlino and yeah. all people like that. Right. That came, that was ushered in during that time. And I'll, I'll go with John Paul II. I think that he had to spend some time in the first half as a pontificate because the liberal movement was so in charge. He had to kind of build his brand. I don't know it sounds bad, but he had to get mm. build trust mm -hmm. and confidence. And then the last half of his pontificate, I was ordained during John Paul's pontificate, and I'm not called called a JP2 priest, hmm. but there, there's a name for that. And it was the young priests that were ordained in that last part of his pontificate. You know what it was? Right around 1995, where things, where you'd start seeing the phenomena of JP2 priests. Hmm. And uh, I think EWTN was doing a re re uh, rebranding of themselves. Mother Angelica came in. and right. uh, But anyways, it, but uh, the, 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 it was right around that time. And then he kind of uh, led the way or paved the way is better for Pope Benedict. And then right. it was just unbelievable. Well, my, my bishop came in when Pope Benedict was made Pope. And we had four guys studying in all of seminary, mm. just four. Within a few years, we had 33. Mm. That was what was going on right then. Well, and, and one of the things that you had said you, you had done, and I, I'd love to get your comment on this, uh, Dr. Jared, uh, to help bring about deeper reverence for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. I think if I'm not mistaken, you told me that one of the first things you did was you changed the music. Is that correct? Are you talking about me or, or Dr. Yeah, you, yeah, Father, you. You oh yeah, it. yeah, right. 
Yeah. So in other uh, words, all the kind of the supporting pieces of what the mass is supposed to be about. It's not, I mean, mm -hmm. it's not about each other first. It's not about the stained glass windows or the music first. It's not about a, a number of things first. It, right. Everything is supposed to one way or the other support what's going on on the altar, yes. especially yeah. at the moment of consecration. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So yep. doctor, could you, you know, speak to the importance of if we want to deepen an understanding and appreciation, a love, a reverence for the Eucharist, shouldn't all these supporting pieces affect that? Because Father did that. Absolutely. He started with the music and then eventually it yeah. exploded to other things. Yeah, we actually changed out the pews and got rid of all the modern stuff and started discovering a beautiful Gregorian chant and polyphony. Mm. Yeah. Oh my, polyphony. The, the I, I just, my eyes roll back in my head. For the Eucharist. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. exactly. Yeah, I would say the first thing we need to do is to help people to understand that mass is not for them. You know, my dissertation exactly. was The Virtue of Religion, came out as a book, the, the Primacy of God, because we owe God our prayer and our worship, that he is the fulfillment of our whole lives. Um, and so we really, by coming to mass, by glorifying God, by praising him, giving him honor and glory, we fulfilled the very purpose of our existence. And so mass is actually the most important thing that we do to fulfill that. And so if we can help people to understand that, you know, we are coming here to honor God. We're not coming yes. here just, you know, to, to please ourselves, to be entertained or, or anything else. And so how do you do that? Well, it is through the signs, right, that we're pointing to the sacredness of what is happening. And that can be the music is crucial, but. The, the postures of the priests, the vestments, you know, the, the chalice, I mean, everything, the architecture, that everything should be pointing upwards, pointing to, this, yes. to the altar uh, and, and what is happening there. And our own uh, gestures as well. Are we kneeling? You know, are, are we bowing before the king? Right. Are we receiving the Eucharist reverently or, or once again in just a haphazard way that, that makes it seem like ordinary and mundane? Uh, and that we're continuing these things, we're extending our worship at the Mass, that we have processions, we have an adoration chapel, you know, and that we also gather to eat meals, because I, I think that, you know, the Eucharist is meant to be extended even in the breaking of the bread within the community of the family, that the yes. family meals, the center of the family culture, but also in the parish, right? To recover right. the ancient tradition of the agape, that we are building community by eating yes. with one another. Um, but that the heart of, of our communion, of course, is in the Lord himself. But one everything the, else is, is around that center. One of my favorite decisions I ever made was instead of uh, do donut Sunday once a month, we have donuts and coffee after every single mass. And you know what it did? It stopped people from rushing to their cars mm -hmm. and they stopped and they shared their familial love with each other and built up such a community. And again, I grew up pre-1973. The parish was our second home. We, we lived in the parish and it, it was a lot of meals. So we, and I spent a lot of time as a kid, you know, in the doing dishes during the pancake breakfast and the spaghetti <laughs> dinner, you know, and, uh, it, but we loved it. We loved it. We were a family and we were, we were doing this together and it was, it was such a strong sense of family. And that grew out of the, 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 uh, reverence and the, the deep, deep prayer that we had 
during the holy sacrifice of the mass when we were together together and uh, up. Yeah. yeah and if you look at our decaying civilization what's its hallmark it's individualism yes and so if we're going to overcome our current culture and we're going to build a true civilization around what matters most the worship of god will be primary but it will also be a commitment to one another yes that we will Absolutely. no longer be autonomous individuals nope. you know we're a family Absolutely. And we take care of each other. You know, if anybody got sick, I mean, 18 families were at their door taking care of them, getting their meals done. And, you know, it's just, that's what you do. And, and, and it wasn't hard. My yoke is easy. My burden light. It was their utter delight. Mm -hmm. It was like the greatest source of joy in their lives. So it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, doctor, that you think that's what it means to be that Eucharistic presence now out in the world. You've consumed Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. Now go out and what? Be disciples. What does that look like? I think it's that. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's it's forming the habits and practices of our life around the Eucharist. And that right. is for me that I, I live a life of prayer, but my family, my relationships, my work, that it all flows from that. And I think also, you know, that when Jesus says, you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. That there is a Eucharistic dimension to that, because where do we find Christ's body in the world? In the sacrament, right. in the communion of the church, but also in the neediest. That right. you know, you cannot come and, and receive our Lord's body worthily and then go and ignore your neighbor in need. I think that's what part of what Paul's saying, even in First Corinthians. Yeah. You know, you think you're coming to honor God, but you're not because you see these hungry people in front of you and you don't even pay any attention to them. So I think it's all bound up, but yes, that we become tabernacles of the Lord's presence in the yes. world. And we begin to sanctify the, the world through all that we do. Yep. Uh, doctor, before we, I mean, we don't have a ton of time left. I think here we're getting down here in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, adoration. Um, I, I, I know people can be intimidated by the idea of, you know, signing up for an hour of adoration and so forth. I mean, I've done it at, at different stages of my life and it's been amazing, but I try to, I try to encourage people to do at least this, you know, anytime I'm out, if I'm, you know, driving by near a Catholic church, I'll even make sure I drive a certain way so I can pass the Catholic church and then just stop in even for five or 10 minutes. A lot of times it turns into longer, but just making visits to the blessed sacrament, whether a person does an hour of adoration, which is phenomenal since our Lord, you know, in, in the agony of the garden said, could you not stay with me even one hour? But even to stop in periodically throughout the week for adoration, obviously attending mass throughout the week is great too. It's amazing. But can you speak to the importance of Eucharistic adoration, whether it's mm -hmm. a quick visit for five minutes or an hour of adoration, how important is it that we, I like to use the word incorporate into our lives, these pieces so that it's not a separate part of who we are. Like my daily rosary, uh, you know, I, I exercise, I work out five or six days a week. I pray a rosary seven days a week. You know, I try to get to adoration a few days a week, even for five, five, 10, 15 minutes and so forth and so forth. How important is it to incorporate something like adoration into our life, into our diet in order for us to grow in these ways with, with a love for the Eucharist? If the Eucharist is the center of our lives, then we are continuing his Eucharistic presence within us. And, you know, father spoke about hunger, mm. right? You know, it, we keep that hunger going through daily prayer by, by stopping in, come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, how's he going to do that? Yes, through Sunday Mass, but but keeping that that desire alive in us and coming to him so that he can live our lives with us, in and through us. He can act through us in the world. We have to keep his Eucharistic presence in us. And I think adoration does that. It strengthens our faith in his Eucharistic presence. It does strengthen our desire. It strengthens our trust. And it does create peace. You know, I just, you know, when I come in to to be with our Lord in the Eucharist, whether he's exposed in adoration or in the tabernacle, at that moment, it just seems like everything is okay. (laughs) No matter the storm that's raging around, you know, in my life and in the world, but in that moment, yes, there is peace. It is the rock. And then I can go out and face all those other problems. I can go back in to deal with everything I need to deal with at work and at home and, and, you know, and have courage in the midst of the world because I am coming in to spend that time with him in the Eucharist. And yes, I can pray in my own home and I do pray in my own home, but it is not the same, you know? And so, yeah, of course you need to pray wherever you are, no matter what, but if you can stop in to visit our Lord in the blessed sacrament, it will revolutionize your prayer life and it will revolutionize your life. And I think it is part of not only continuing the Sunday mass that we've been to, but also anticipating and preparing already for the coming Sunday mass so that we can open our hearts to the graces that the Lord wants to give us. He's giving us everything that we need, the answer to everything in our life and also in our civilization. The answer is there. But, you know, we're just kind of there. We're not really paying attention. And, you know, we receive our Lord kind of haphazardly and we move on to the next thing. It's all there. But slow down, prepare for it, continue it, live it. Yep. And it will change everything. You know, one of the things I uh, encourage uh, people, especially when we're at Mass, I bring this up uh, often, is notice how many times you hear the word peace. You know, Jesus said to his apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. And but the word peace is almost repeated obnoxiously in and around, but when we're about to receive the Eucharist, but also during um the Eucharistic prayer in other places, peace, 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 peace. But that's Jesus wants us to have peace, right? He wants us to have peace. And I'll say this too. You you know, you guys are right. They they used to call them chapel visits back back in the day, you know. Right. Before I think any of us were born, that was just a common practice to stop and just spend a few moments if you pass yeah. by a church. But uh, but even if that's a heavy lift, here's what I encourage people to do: come a little early, stay yeah. a little late. Yeah, Jesus mm-hmm. is right there in the tabernacle. You know, it's nice to have him exposed in the monstrance. That's that's beautiful, but it's the same thing. He's he's there in the tabernacle. But here's here's the challenge I'd, I'd ask people to reflect upon right now. Doesn't that even seem hard? Because here, I think at least at a subconscious level, we don't want to stop and be alone mm-hmm. with Jesus because he's going to ask me too much. Frankly, <laughs> I like my punch-the-clock Catholicism yeah, yeah. because I can claim a relationship with the Lord and I keep him at a manageable distance Okay. And then if I need them, I can, you know, take the little hammer and break glass and bring them out. All right. In case of emergency, break glass. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can bring them out and, you know, take care of me in time of need. But I, but to get close, 
and to make it a love relationship, he's going to ask me to do stuff. You know, I just don't have time to do stuff. You see what I'm saying? I, I challenge people to just think deeply about this, okay? Do you want to spend even a few minutes before mass starts or a few minutes after mass starts? Do you want to do that? Think about it. Wouldn't you say so, doctor? Yeah, I think our Lord, he's waiting there for yeah. us. It's like, we think, what's he going to ask of me? But it's rather, what can he give me? So right. he's reaching his arms out. He, he wants to give us everything. Yes. He gives us his, not only his body and blood, his own divine spirit. He gives us the father, he gives us everything, these infinite gifts. And we're like this, you know, it's like, no, no, yes, you know, yes. was, we, we're not opening our arms up to receive these yes. gifts. Yeah. yeah, because then then it's going to change and I'm going to have to take this seriously and, you know, my schedule doesn't allow it, you know, whatever. But I, I know that sounds cold, but I think even at a subconscious level, a lot of people are at that place. I, I, I don't want to make it personal. Yeah. I, I enjoy doing the punch clock thing. And, and our Lord is forgotten, you know, in a lot of churches and chapels. So even if you're at home, you can honor our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, even from your home. Like, Jesus, I adore you yes. in the most blessed sacrament. And, yep. you know, we can really make spiritual communions. We can mm -hmm. stay close to him, even if we're not able to get into the church. But I question everybody to think about, are you not able to come a little earlier, stay a little late? You know, think there, there are some people who are not able, but I mean, I think if we do that, even from home, it will increase that hunger once again. And yeah, then all of absolutely. a sudden you're driving down the road and you're like, wait, a, the church is just over there, right? Because what are you doing? You're, you're already increasing your awareness that the Lord is there in the blessed sacrament yeah. all the time. He is waiting for you. Yeah. You're honoring that presence. And I think you're just going to be drawn in more and more. The spiritual communion prayer is beautiful. So yeah. I encourage people to go ahead and Google it and look it up. It's just incredible. Uh, I'd like to throw in from home. And I'd like to throw in one more thing too, if we could. And and you know, Father, get your opinion on this as well as as Dr. Jared here. Um, after Mass, can I just I want to make a humble plea to everybody out there? Um, be quiet. Um, after Mass. Don't start treating the church like it's a conference center. People start leaning on the pews with their back to the altar, talking. I know there's a handful of people at least that want to pray, spend some time, prayer of Thanksgiving, be with our Lord for just a few more minutes. And oftentimes people just start talking, oh, how are you? And this and that. And there was a time years ago, I mean, as I grew up, is you kept a real reverent. I mean, if you had to say anything, you talked soft, you whispered, you know, and it was minimal. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to talk to somebody, hey, let's step out of the church and maybe mm -hmm. do it out here, you know, in the vestibule and arthrix area. Let's let's at least uh, keep this space sacred by not getting carried away and making it too casual, I think, you know, along with the ideas of trying to dress up a bit more for mass is always a great idea. It's mm -hmm. another sign of the reverence of, of what's going on there. Um, but, uh, you know, Father and Doctor, could you both give your opinion on just the idea of keeping this space in the church a little more sacred with our conversation uh, to a minimum and, and quieter so people can pray? And it also just keeps the atmosphere that there's something different about this space than any other space on the planet here in the church. Um, Father, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I do believe that when we uh, stripped out the churches of all this beautiful imagery and uh, architecture and things like that back in the day, and my church is very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I'll give that as an example. 
you 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 open the door of my church and all of a sudden your voice goes like this. Yeah, you feel like you should be reverent yes. and silent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so it's it's you, you I think with modern designs, very plain, mm -hmm. looks like a conference center. Um, it's harder, but and we have to make more of a conscious effort because of that. But mm -hmm. you're exactly right, Doug, that you 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 treat again that awe and wonder. You I'm in God's presence here. Mm -hmm. You know, doctor, you want to say anything about that? Yeah, it just goes back to the fact of, you know, do we really believe this? Do we believe that Jesus is right there? Right. And do we act in accord with that belief? Right. To really be able to show to others that I'm honoring uh, that presence. And, you know, I know we don't like to think about kings and all of that anymore in our democratic society. But I mean, if you had, you know, an audience with the king, it's not like you're, you're going into right. the throne room and saying, Hey, how's the weather today? What do you think about that? And it's like, no, I, you you honor and, and respect uh, you know right. the king, you know, on his throne right in front of you, and, and this all is the, the more king so of with our Lord, yeah. yeah. And we want people to stay around and talk, but that's also a reason for having yeah. a place for them to go and to continue that conversation elsewhere. I think it 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 can be something that uh, you know people can pick up and it can be taught, you know. But we just have to put up signs. I've seen churches do that, you know, on the door, you know, prominently so people can see it. You you make some announcements and say, hey, we want everyone to stick around after church. We want you to talk, but please honor this sacred space and continue your conversations in the social hall or, you know, narthex or wherever. So yeah. Yeah. or Gracie's cafe. You can do it. That's Gracie's right. Yeah. 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 yeah that's one of the things we did in our parish with great success. And I'd, I'd, I'd really encourage people to do their best to start in their parishes, but we had holy hours with everybody. And, and that, but, and the, the kind of allure a, bit, a little bit was we had an, an amazing social afterwards. And if the weather's warm, we went outside and we called it Gracie's Cafe. That's my dog's name. And it was very fun. But it started with uh, adoration and confession for a holy hour. And we're doing it together as a community. And I think that got a lot of people used to the whole idea of doing adoration themselves. Again, even if it means adoring just before or after Mass. But listen, mm -hmm. um, Doc, uh, do you have your book handy? Yes, I do. Yeah. Well, hold it up. There it is. I, again, I, we just found out about this. We scrambled to get to see if you could come on. I'm going to go out and get this. Everybody else, please, please, please go out and get this book. It's, I think, monumental. It's just so needed for our mm -hmm. times. And thank you yeah. for answering the call of the Holy Spirit to write it, doctor. Yeah, that's Absolutely. great. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's end with a prayer. That's a, uh, that's our time. Uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, we call out for a Eucharistic revival, a revival in the land and in our church. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Doc. Thank you, Doctor. Thanks Appreciate you being on. on tonight. Uh,